0: Find the uh, children to head out to Children's Church, that is for ages 2nd uh, twel- grade, not 12th grade, uh, that's a big difference. 2nd uh, grade and below, um, you can head out to Children's Church with uh, Miss Beth and uh, whoever else is with her. For the rest of us who will remain as the kids are filing out, turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 12 as we continue, continue our study in the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 12, we are going to start in verse 21 and read through to the end of the chapter. So again, this is uh, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And we're going to be in chapter 12, picking up in verse 21. And the word of God says this. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb you people have concerning the land of Israel? saying, The days are long and every vision fails. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I will make this proverb cease so that they will no longer use it as a proverb in Israel. But tell them the days draw near as well as the fulfillment of every vision. For there will no longer longer be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I, the Lord, will speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, for in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, the house of Israel is saying, the vision that he sees is for many years from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. Please be seated. Have you ever gotten some really bad advice? You probably, odds are, if you have gotten really bad advice, and I can see some smiles on the faces of everyone here. If you have gotten some really bad advice in your time, that immediately, that, that, that sears you, doesn't it? You remember that bad advice. You remember that time that someone told you to do something or gave you some bit of counsel, and it was the wrong advice, and it had the wrong, the wrong outcome. And when it was all said and done, you were like, why, oh, why did I listen to that person? And and odds are, you have probably never received advice from that person again. You probably even in your head said, I will never listen to that person again. And I'm just going to say right now that I hope that you're not thinking of me. However, I know for a fact there is one person that is thinking of me. Because I was thinking about that and I was reminded of, of, of years past and back when I was in high school. And we know that any advice you get from a high school student is probably not great advice. Sorry, high school students. But when I was in high school, we used to have open lunch. We were allowed to leave campus during lunchtime. And that was a terrible idea, just for the record. But it was cool when we were there. And so we would often go out and go to the restaurants around town and and eat. We had about 30 minutes to do so, and we'd grab a bite to eat and come back. Well, on one such day, we had gone out, and I don't know if it was the food was delayed or we got stuck at traffic or the traffic lights didn't work to our advantage, and, and we were running late. And I mean, we were running very late. And so we were at that point where we were trying to get back to our high school and trying to get back to our next period, and, and we knew for a fact we were going to be late. And there was a guy in my group. He was on the football team with me, and his name was Aaron Montgomery. And he was he I was a senior and he was a junior and he was very upset. He goes, oh, man, I can't be late to class. My teacher's tough. I don't want to be late late to class. It was a math teacher. So you'd know how they are. (laughs) And and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble. And I said, well, who's your math teacher? And he said, oh, it's Mrs. Sharp. And you don't know who Mrs. Sharp is, but I did. And I said, oh, I had Mrs. Sharp last year. I, she loved me. When you get to class, just tell her you were with me and everything will be fine. Who thinks that was good advice? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know if I, I don't remember anymore if I was joking or I was just that arrogantly confident at that point in my life. And to be honest, it's a coin flip. But he took my advice. And he was a good five ten minutes late to class and he walked into class and Mrs. Sharp, the math math teacher goes, where were you? And I got all this after the fact. And he said what I told him to say. And that afternoon I saw him after school and I walked up to him and he said, thanks a lot. I go, what? He goes, I took your advice and told the teacher that I told Mrs. Sharp that I was with you and she exploded and I was like, uh, I wouldn't do that again. He don't I don't think he took my advice anymore. Bad advice often has terrible terrible consequences. And in our passage today, that's what we're dealing with. What has happened in in uh uh, Israel during this time and what is happening with Ezekiel as he is prophesying and telling the people what the Lord is saying they are they are taking instead of listening to what he is saying and heeding the word of the Lord they are listening to the advice of others and it is going to have disastrous consequences see God in our passage today is responding to a proverb a saying that had begun to be spread around the nation of Israel, which undoubtedly included both Jerusalem and Judah, the the people that were still back um, at home where where they were originally, as well as the leaders of the people that were in exile with Ezekiel. Because remember, Ezekiel, he's not in Jerusalem. He's not in Israel. He's not back home. He is in exile. He is off in Babylon and, and, and around the Jewish people that have been carried off into kind of the first exile. And even among them, this saying, this proverb, had started to, to come around that is going to have a disastrous consequence. As we look in our text, as we kind of open up our Bible, we, we can look at, at chapter 12 and realize that, that this prophecy, the passage that we just read, this prophecy that, that Ezekiel got from the Lord, is a response to, all of this is a response to a previous prophecy. And so if we go back to the very beginning of the chapter, we see that Ezekiel has illustrated what the future of Jerusalem and the future of Israel is going to be. He starts with packing a bag as though he is going into exile. And so there was a kind of when when this type of stuff happened, they would they would get their stuff. They would put everything in a bag. They would have to travel lightly because of the the, usually the speed in which they were being required to go. And the fact that they were going to be going a great distance on foot um, and they recognized it. I want you to bear in mind that Ezekiel, he is currently in exile. And he is around people who are currently in exile. So there would have been absolutely no question to the people watching him what he was doing. In fact, this would have been something very fresh for them. He would have saw it. It's one of those things that you kind of would give you chills. If you had had a horrible experience in your life, imagine for a moment, and if this hits a little too close to home with anybody, I apologize. Imagine for a moment that that you got into a car accident. Or if you have gotten to a car accident, a lot of times when you've been in a car accident, whether it's a major one or, or maybe a fairly minor one, the next time you get behind the wheel of a car, you're a little nervous, aren't you? It gives you kind of a pause. It gives you a chill. I know for me per- personally, a few years ago, I was in a pretty, pretty legit four-wheeler accident. And I remember the next time I got on a four-wheeler, it was just just doing something. I I think I was doing a promo or something. And I got really nervous the first time I sat back down on a four-wheeler and turned it on. When you've had something traumatic happen to you, that's something that doesn't just go away quickly. And so these people are watching as Ezekiel is putting together an exile pack and is getting ready to is acting out as though they're going into exile. And the people observing him are upset and you could and they are they know what he is doing. And after Ezekiel has packed those barest essentials, has put those into a, a bag or a strap of some sort and, and put those on at nighttime, he actually goes out to the side of his, either his building or the wall of the town that he is in. And he actually digs out a hole in the wall, undoubtedly made of mud. And he digs a hole through it and goes through the hole into exile. Now there is a purpose to this, and, and God communicates that purpose through that when He turns and he tells the people that this was to show them what would happen to the current ruler in Jerusalem. There was a man there named Zedekiah, uh, let me say it correctly, Zedekiah. And Zedekiah was, was the ruler in Jerusalem, and, and if you go back into verse 12, um, uh, Ezekiel and the Lord refused to call him king because he was not of the line of David. In fact, Zedekiah's original name was Mattaniah, and he was actually the uncle of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they had this king, this prince, this ruler in Jerusalem who was not from the line of David, was not the legitimate ruler of, of Israel, of Judah. And, and he's telling him, listen, things are going to go very poorly with this man. And you think that because he's there, you're going to be okay. And because nothing bad is happening, you're going to be all right. But the reality is, is this man is going to sneak off because he is going to go into exile and it's going to go very poorly for him. We can turn to Second Kings chapter 25 and actually see the result of, of this Zedekiah. Picking up in verse 4, it says this, it says, Then the city was broken into, see, Zedekiah, even though he was Nebuchadnezzar's uncle, decided that he was going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and try to get his own kingdom out of the deal. Nebuchadnezzar comes after his uncle, and it says that, Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden. Though the Chaldeans were all around the city, they went by the way of the Arba, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And he passed sentence to him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they put the eyes of Zedekiah out and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him back to Babylon. He also told them that, that they would eat with fear and trembling. He stood before them, and as he ate a, a meal of, of kind of a, a ration meal, as though that there was no food, he trembled and, and did so in fear, so that all could see. He did this so that they would understand that, that there was coming a day where they would have severe food insecurity so that with every meal they shook with fear because they feared that that meal may be their last. We actually see this in the same passage in 2 Kings 25, when it says, On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. All of this was told to the exiles so that they would understand that the time of their exile was not coming to an end. Because there had been no repentance in them, nor had there been any repentance in Jerusalem. And uh, Ezekiel had just got done communicating all of this to the people, and he had prophesied these things. And and while these things, as we look at, at 2 Kings 25, these things came to pass... What is really, I think, the most interesting fact about chapter 12 is just how the people responded to it. So they had heard the word from the Lord. They had heard it from the prophet's mouth. He had showed them with with examples and told them exactly what was going to happen and and, and was pointing out this is because of your your lack of repentance and this is because of your stiff neck and your hard heart and the sin that is going on throughout the nation of Israel, both back in the, the promised land and here in exile. And yet, look at how the people respond. They have been told that their sin and rebellion, that their idolatry had all brought this judgment upon them. And yet, they did not respond with repentance. Now, it might be very easy for us today to be like, man, they were so thick. Like, how did they not, how did they had a prophet in front of them? Telling them what's going to happen. Why did they not respond with sackcloth and ashes and mourning and repentance? Why did they do that? They had the prophet right there. But if we fast forward 2,500 years to today, how often do you take reproof? How often do you take it when someone comes to you and says, hey... What you just did, what you just said, what you just did to me, that hurt. And that was sin. And, and, and I just want you to know that, that you, need to, you need to repent that. Like th- this thing going on in your life and this, this attitude that you have right now, this is a sinful attitude and this is a sinful mindset and you need to, to repent of that. And we might even, and, and really if we're honest, they may even come to us with the scripture and say, look what the Bible says. You're doing what the Bible says not to do and you need to repent and go a different way. How often do we really honestly take that well? I don't. It is so hard for me not to immediately put up all my defenses and say, well, who do you think you are? Who are you to judge me? That's hard. We're not good at it. It's hard for us to be confronted with sin, and 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 that's really what is going on with Israel as well. So we can't be surprised when Israel did not respond well to the conviction, to to this, the word from the Lord. They didn't respond with conviction and repentance. In fact, quite differently, they responded by creating little sayings that they would throw out. To these prophets and this is during the days of Ezekiel and we have to remember that Jeremiah is also back in Israel. And they started creating these sayings and every time these prophets would start to to prophesy and and act something out or speak to the people they would just say these uh, say these proverbs and say these sayings and then go back to life as normal. The first of these sayings was the days are long and every vision fails. To be honest, this is just a way of saying, I don't believe you. You say these things, and you say this is going to happen, or you say that is going to happen, and you're telling me that God is, 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 is declaring these things to be so, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't believe you. Now, if we translated this to today, we probably wouldn't say that. You know, if I ever let, let's be honest, we have our churchy language. And if if someone came to you today and they they maybe just held the Bible to you and said, hey, I see this in your life. And and uh, this does not jive with scripture. And I think, you, you know, you've got a problem here and you need to repent and you need to confess this. We probably wouldn't just say, I don't believe you. But we might say something like, well, this makes me happy. Don't you think that God wants me to be happy? Or we're gonna we're gonna say something, we're gonna go, Well, my situation's different. I know that's what the Bible says about this, but trust me, my situation, you don't know you don't know me. And I know that it says that, and I know you think that's what I'm doing, but I'm actually different. Or we just flat out say Whatever. Only God can judge me. That's a scary statement. See, they just really, when it came down to it, they just didn't believe him. What they were doing was they were twisting the very test of a prophet that we find from Deuteronomy 18. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 20, it communicates, how do you know a prophet is legit? And they said, but a prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded them to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You shall say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? And when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing that that does not come about or come true... That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. See, they had taken that and they'd really kind of twisted it and really kind of misused it because they just kind of looked at him and said, Well, it hadn't happened yet. You keep saying all this stuff is going to happen, and it hasn't happened. And the Bible says, the Old Testament says, that if you say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, then I don't need to listen to what you have to say. So I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. Mmm. But see how they twisted it was they took that to mean on their time schedule. You said it, and it's been two whole days, and it hasn't happened. Clearly, I don't need to worry about you. How often do we, honestly, how often do we really expect God to work on our time schedule? We say a prayer, dear Lord, do this thing for me. And it doesn't happen in a couple hours, and it maybe doesn't happen in 24 hours, and then maybe it doesn't happen in 48 or 72 hours, and we go, all right, God, I'll do it myself. That was the mentality they had. They said the Bible says if, if, if they prophesied it doesn't happen, then clearly they weren't, weren't a prophet. And they said, well, if it doesn't happen like immediately, then that must mean that they're not a prophet. If they're not a prophet, we don't need to listen to them. I think we do this a lot, too, when it comes to sin. See, a lot of times, if you don't know, think about it for just a moment, a lot of times we hear the gospel. Maybe we're young. Maybe it's that vacation Bible school scenario. And we hear the gospel, and, and, and we believe, and we become a Christian, and, and, and everybody's excited for us, and we get baptized, and everything's great, and, and, we're just, and, and immediately we're just walking with the Lord, and we're excited about just everything. But then something happens. First off, all the celebrating kind of goes away. And everybody's not just super excited for you anymore, and they just want you to walk with the Lord. But then something really bad happens. And that something that's not walking with the Lord starts to look better than walking with the Lord. And we recognize that, ooh, I want that thing. I want that relationship. I want that, that uh, I don't know, for kids, we're thinking that piece of candy. I want the toy that someone else is playing with. I want um, this career move or I want to do this with that person. And it becomes more enticing and more alluring than walking with the Lord. And we go, ooh, if I, if I do that, if I give in to that, I know God doesn't want me to do that. I know the Bible says that sin. And if I do that, that'll be sinning. Oh, but I really want it. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just get, just try it once. Maybe I'll just say that one little white lie. Maybe I'll just take that one drink. Maybe I'll just break that one rule. And you go and you, you break that rule and guess what happens? Guess what happens when you have finally given into temptation and you have now sinned against God that, that first time, that first little first step into sin? What, is, what happens? Nothing right? Nothing. The world doesn't end. The sun does not go dark. The water all around you does not turn to blood. There are no locusts. There are no frogs. There are no flies. There is no lightning from heaven. When you said that first lie, a thunder did not clap up above you to let you know that you had messed up. Nothing happened. You might have even got away with it. Mom, dad didn't find out. No one in the church confronted you about it. Nothing happened. And you went, oh. Well, I got away with that. Must not be a big deal. If there was not an immediate consequence to my sin, then maybe, just maybe, God doesn't care about sin that much after all. Guys, this was the first lie communicated by satan and it still works really well today in genesis chapter 3 verse 4 it says that the serpent said to the woman you surely will not die now in one sense he was telling the truth because eve when she said we can't eat of that fruit in the garden it was because if the day that we, in the day that we eat of it, we will surely die. And the serpent and the enemy, Satan, he knew that if they, they ate the fruit, it wasn't that they would die immediately. And maybe that's what they thought. Maybe they just hadn't put that much thought into it. But the, the serpent knew that the consequence to their disobedience was not immediate and instantaneous death. And so there was a, a fraction of truth in what he said. But he knew he was lying because he knew they would die. It's for this reason that when we go into the New Testament and we look at a passage like the book of Romans has that says, For the wages of sin is death, when we're young, we think that's going to be almost instantaneous. That if we sin against God, that if we fail, that if we mess up, that there's going to be horrible, disastrous, deathly consequences. And then we do sin, and it doesn't happen that way. And then suddenly we begin to go down the path of sin. But make no mistake. Those words were true. And your sin does have consequences. And even if you may not feel them immediately, they are coming down the road. The second little saying that they developed, not only did they say that, that well, the, the, you guys say all this stuff and, and the days keep coming and the days keep going and, and they're not fulfilled, so we don't need to listen to you. But they also began to say things like the visions that they are, are declaring, they're way far off. That he's speaking of a, another day and another time and, and, and we don't need to worry about that. That's for other people. We need to be careful about this as well. I think that today we kind of say this by saying things like, well, these things were written long ago. And, you know, we're different now. You know, hey, we shouldn't be taking advice from people who lived 2,000 years ago. This is a different day and age. And, and, and just it doesn't quite apply the same way that it used to. Nor should we say things like, there's still plenty of time to to do this Jesus thing. First, I want to live my life and and do what what I want to do. And then, then I'll worry about my, my salvation. And then I'll worry about eternity. Let me live my life. And then when I've lived everything to the fullest, then I'll worry about what happens when I die. Israel did not believe the urgency of their situation. And so they did not worry about repentance because they did not actually think they would face the wrath of God. This was their response to the word of the Lord. They said, it hasn't happened yet, and it probably won't happen in my life. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. This is a dangerous mindset. And it's one that can sneak into each and every one of our hearts and minds at any moment. When sin is allowed to gain a foothold in our life, and even when we begin to, to look into the Word and we see that we need to repent, even when we listen to the Sunday school lessons and the radio programs and the pastors and, 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 and all the different people that, that try to speak truth into our life, we'll look at that and say, yeah, but I still think I'm okay. And so we allow sin to endure. And ultimately what we see in our passage is that God most certainly responds to their sayings. So the one thing that we need to understand, and I think the most important thing that we need to receive from this passage is, that God's word always comes true. Both of their little proverbs were about to become completely turned on their head. In fact, if you remember, the first proverb was that the, the days are long and the visions always fail. And so God responds to say, the day has drawn near and every vision will be fulfilled. The second proverb says, there's still many years, and these are prophecies for a far off time. And he said, my words will be delayed no longer. Listen. Listen to me, please. The word of God is always true. And just because the word of God is not fulfilled on your schedule or your agenda, just because we do not get the immediate results that we might expect in the day where we can push a screen on our phone and have something delivered to our house in 24 hours, it most certainly will come to pass. When it comes right down to it, the issue at hand with the people of Israel, whether they were in Jerusalem or in exile, was they did not believe the word of God. And quite frankly, we are guilty of the same thing over and over and over again. We see what the Bible says. We affirm it with our amens. And our head nods and our, oh, wasn't that such a good sermon? Or, oh, I just really love that Bible study. Or, oh, help me, I'm going to post this Bible verse on my Facebook page. But our lives speak a very different story. So often we talk about the need to share Christ with people. So often we talk about the need to walk with the Lord. And yet so often we say, ah, I'll save it for another day. I'll do it when it's more convenient. I'm busy right now with this and this and this. And I'll worry about all of that when I have more free time. We as Southern Baptists often really hang our hats on the fact that we are people of the word but we need to be people of the word with more than just our mouths. We need to be people of the word with our actions as well. We need to take our sins seriously. We need to confess and repent. We need to take obedience seriously. And while we are saved by grace through faith, we are called to be followers of Jesus. And that doesn't mean we follow Jesus when we're retired. That doesn't mean we follow Jesus after the football season. That doesn't mean that we follow Jesus when we don't have anything else to do. It means we follow Jesus in everything we do. And we do not delay to be obedient. Because we know there are consequences to our disobedience. There's an urgency to all of it. I'm reminded of what Peter wrote to the churches in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, when he says, "...the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some would count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance." That is probably some of the best news of the Bible. Because no matter where you are today, God is calling you into a closer walk with him. And what's even greater news about that is that he's patient with you. You may be here today and you may say, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. And that's great. But I would challenge you to to go to the Lord, to seek him. Where are you not following the Lord? Where are you not trusting him? Some of you may be here today and you're thinking to yourself, I have been a thousand miles away from God. And I have been a thousand miles away from God for such a long time. Surely he has given up on me by now. And this passage right here from Peter says, no, he hasn't. He's not given up on you. He's not giving up on your friend. He's not giving up on your coworker. If they are still drawing breath, then God has not given up on them. And he is still calling them to repentance. And he is still calling you to repentance. And he is still telling you, listen. The day draws near. Quit kicking the can down the road. Place your hope and your faith and your trust in him. Repent of the sin that is is is." is overwhelming your life. Recognize what the enemy is doing in your head and in your heart and repent and believe. Because brothers and sisters, the word of God is true. It is true about his grace and his love, his mercy and his patience. But it is also true about his justice and his wrath and his hatred of sin. And so our question today is this Do you believe? Do you believe that God's word is true? Do you believe what it says? Do you believe that what God calls sin is sin? And do you believe? that the only way that we can be delivered from sin is by turning to Christ and putting your hope and trust in him. If you believe, then obedience must follow. This is what it means to give your life to Jesus. We often present it in our church with these three circles that that, that begins with God has a a plan and a purpose for your life. And see, God's design is perfect, and within God's design is what God wants us to do. That God has a a a perfect plan for your life. And that through that design, if we would walk with him and we would do what God has called us to do according to his word, that things would be good. But we don't. In fact, none of us do. None of, no one in this entire room has ever been able to really walk perfectly with God's design. But we, like everyone else, have decided to kind of create our own purpose and create our own design and to do our own thing. And we departed from God's design, and that's called sin. And the Bible says that, for, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it also tells us that the wages of sin is death. And we call that death brokenness here. And just like if you've got a toy or you've got a, an item in your house and it's designed to do one thing and you try to force it to do something else, you're probably going to break it. And when we depart from God's design and God's purpose for our life, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And I, and I don't need to, I, I think you can tell, you know what brokenness is because you feel that. If you've ever in your entire life, if you ever at some point in your life felt like you didn't fit in. That you didn't belong, that something was off about you, that something was, was, was messed up about you. If there was ever a point in your life where you knew what the right thing to do was, the right thing to say, the right thing to feel, but you did something else. And you had got that feeling in your chest that said, this is wrong, you knew what brokenness feels like. And we feel that brokenness and then we try to fix that brokenness. And we might fix that brokenness through um, you know, good deeds. We might fix that brokenness by trying to pass it on to our kids and trying to raise perfect kids. You might try to fix that brokenness with entertainment and games and fun and playing. You might try to just kind of numb that brokenness with drugs or alcohol or sports or some other distraction. But deep down we recognize the simple truth that we can't fix brokenness from our brokenness. And so we needed something outside of our brokenness to deliver us from it. And that's where the gospel comes in. And the gospel is good news. And it's the good news that God sent his one and only son. That he would live a perfect life. That he would die a sacrificial death for your sins and for mine. So that he could deliver us from our brokenness if we would believe in Jesus, and confess him as Lord of our lives. Our little arrow up here will say to believe and repent because first you have to believe, but then that idea of making Jesus the Lord of your life means inherently turning away from the sin that got you to that brokenness to begin with. Notice those arrows are pointing different directions. To repent means to turn around and go a new direction. So the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And so through the gospel, we can be delivered from our brokenness, but that doesn't end. It doesn't end there. It ends when we begin to recover and pursue God's design for our lives once again. See, that's exactly what Ezekiel was calling Israel to in our passage today. He was calling them to repent to believe on the Lord that their sin had led them to a place of brokenness, and that they would repent and believe that, that God would begin to restore them that was promised in Scripture elsewhere. And instead, they chose to stay in their brokenness and to deny their brokenness. And we are calling on you today to not make the same mistakes that they did. So where are you in this little picture that we have on the wall? Have you believed in the gospel, but you still have those moments where where you still feel broken, where there's still sin in your life that that just won't seem to go away? Is Maybe it's still time to just repent, to believe in the good news of the gospel, and to begin to turn away from those things. You may be a believer. You may have given your life to Christ, and in your, uh, your, your trials and in your desire to recover and pursue God's design for your life, there's just still areas of your life that you just need to repent. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're not delivered. It just means that there's still... More to do as you recover and pursue God's design for your life. But maybe you're here today and you know that you are locked into that brokenness. And you're trying to fix it on your own and you're trying to do that on your own. But what you know and what you realize is is you can't. And that that brokenness is persistent. And you see yourself in that brokenness. And our question for you today is, what is preventing you? from believing the good news of the gospel and turning away from your sin? If the answer is nothing, then we would invite you today to come up, talk with me as we close our service today, talk with the person who who you are here with or, or really anybody in our church. And they'd love to share with you a little bit more about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together this morning. Our gracious God, Lord, we do thank you and we do praise you. God, so often you are speaking truth into our lives. God, you speak truth through your word. And as we, we just need to open up our Bibles and, and you will speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet so often we, because of our own hard hearts and stiff necks, Lord, we just will not and cannot see how it replies to us. And God, we make excuses and we make sayings up just like the the people of Israel did in in our passage today. God, I pray that even now your spirit would convict us in those deep, dark parts of our heart. Of the places in our lives where we are not fully trusting in you. We are not fully committing ourselves to you. And God, I pray that we would repent of those things. God, that we would recognize the sin in our life, that we would recognize the lack of faith that we have. We could recognize the places where we do not trust you. And God, that we would turn and we would hand these things over to you and that we would walk in a new light with you. Lord, I know for some of us here this morning, that means surrendering their lives to you for the very first time. They have heard the word. They have heard the gospel probably many times, but they have never fully handed themselves over to you. God, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, I'm sure for many more of us, we just have sin in our lives that we just refuse to deal with. That we are, are thinking that, that any sort of consequence of that sin may be far off and, and, and that it may not happen at all. And we've, we've found ourselves locked in sin and, and, and prone to temptation. God, I pray that you would just pierce us. God, that we would become convicted and contrite, and Lord, that we would surrender ourselves fully to you. Lord, we know that that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we pray that your Spirit would move among us today. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.